you don't know how to do something, find somebody that knows how to do it and learn from them. Whether that's taking a class or like mentorship or just building a professional or personal relationship with them, figure it out. We always say at the salon, like figure it the F out. Everything is figure outable. Welcome to Working Your Way, the podcast dedicated to unraveling the journey of being authentic in the workplace. I'm your host, Sandhya Sadakar. And in this episode, my guest is Mallory Sizer. Mallory is the owner of the Gilded Lily Salon in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood. Shout out to Logan Square. And she teaches other salon owners nationwide how to better run their businesses as a professor at Pip University. Mallory went from hairstylist to stylist and salon owner. And in this past year, she's made the transition out from behind the chair, as you would call it, as a stylist, to running her salon and teaching full-time. In this episode, we talk about how the bold moves she's made in her career to step up in her leadership and grow her impact have gone for her, and how those moves haven't always been easy, but worth it every single time. I can't wait to share this episode with you. Mel, welcome to the Working Your Way podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. Yay, me too. Awesome. So we're going to just jump right into it. And I want you to take us back to a time in your career where you didn't feel like you could be yourself at work or where you weren't showing up Mm -hmm. fully authentically. Yeah, I guess that would probably be in around 2016-ish, 2017-ish. I was working in a salon before I opened uh, my salon here in Chicago. And that working in that salon was definitely a level up for me from where I was at previously. Um, I joined that salon because the opportunity kind of presented itself and fell in my lap. I wasn't really looking to make a change and really was open to up-leveling my career. And um, after working there for a while, I approached the two, uh, the owners and pitched them the program to start training their own uh, stylist out of beauty school and really develop an apprenticeship program. I felt that it was something that the business needed at that time. And it was something that I was very passionate about. And I was already an educator for a manufacturer. So I was already going into salons all over the US teaching, you know, techniques and product knowledge and, you know, guest service standards for a manufacturer. So I thought, you know, why not do that where I work? Because I do love my job. And um, I want to grow this business and help them. And pretty much pitched it to them. Everything was great. And then I got a few months in and realized that I really was not being utilized for my full potential. And I was also not being nurtured. So even though I was educating um, previously for a manufacturer, it was actually very interesting because those two types of education are very different. And I was doing everything that I could to advance myself in that education manager position and really just felt like I was spinning my wheels for a while. And then I finally found my footing, uh, got really, really good at that portion of it, at least better, I would say. And, but then realized like, why am I doing all of this work and not for something that I have ownership in fully and not for something, not for lack of trying, but 
you know, it, I was just very limited. And I felt that I had grown as much as I could because no one in the management of the business was putting effort into my growth. It was all coming from me. So I wasn't able to do what I needed to do or like approach my work the way I wanted to because I was working for those that weren't really helping me the way I needed to be helped. Yeah, it sounds like what you recognized was, hey, I have some like skills gaps or some things that I want to do to improve like how I educate, but it was all so self-directed. First of all, just bringing the idea to be like, hey, Mm -hmm. let's train the employees to do this better. And and Mm -hmm. how was that received in the first place? Was it like, heck yeah, we want to do this? Or was it like, well, okay, if that's what you want to do, sure, we'll let you. I mean, it was kind of in between the two, honestly. Um, I think the first conversation, they one of the owners, there was actually multiple owners in the business, which kind of complicated things even further. But that's a story for another day. And I basically told one of the owners and said, I've got some plans. And they said, get some stuff on paper. Let's sit down. We'll all have dinner, all of us together with a couple of the managers. And we you know, went across the street, sat down at a restaurant, had dinner. And I showed them what I had in mind for the business. And it really was a need at the time because we just, in our industry, in the beauty industry, you know, you want, you want to be hiring, in my opinion, out of beauty school and training them with a skill set. And the fact that we were hiring people out of beauty school and not training them, we would have an apprentice or an assistant or an associate, whatever you want to call them, someone that's very green, doesn't have a lot of experience. We were, they were working for us for six months and then they would leave and it was just a revolving door and it was not sustainable. And then the next person would come and we'd have to start all over with teaching them how to work with our clients. And I think once I had connected the dots between what the need was for the business and how I could come in and like help to bridge the gap and create not just assistants, but stylists eventually, I think they were on board with it, but it took some like connecting the dots for them because they were totally fine previously. We're like, well, we're, we, but we're, we're not an education salon and we, you know, get classes from our manufacturers and it's fine because it works for our day to day. Yes. But it's not growing your business and it's not growing your team. Yeah. What, what was it like for you coming home every day from a job where you feel like you're being underutilized where you have all this potential and it's like, why don't you want it? <laughs> It was very frustrating and I was very burnt out. And while I cared about the people I was training like deeply, I had very good relationships with them and considered them not just my coworkers, but my friends. I mean, the salon industry is very, very much like service industry still, you know, we're just personal services. So everyone's close. We would go for drinks after work. Like I love that portion of it, but you know, above me in our operations, I just felt like I was either spinning my wheels on things that I didn't quite quite grasp yet. And I I just needed more nurturing. I needed somebody Mm -hmm. to come in and say, hey, do you want to take a class for this? Or if you want to find a class for this, you know, we can talk about a budget for it. Or I needed someone to say, what can I do to support you on a regular basis and check in with me more often? It was just kind of like, nope, you've got it. You're doing great every time we talked about things. And it was like, no, this is great. This is great. And the feedback I was receiving wasn't bad. But I'm like, yeah, it might be great, but I know it could be better. And I'm 26 years old, 27, and trying to learn how to do this new thing for you guys. And I need, I need more support. And the, the one owner that was actually um, a hairdresser was just not involved in the business. 
And so I'm like, I have somebody in my shoes that has a license to do what I'm doing, has done it for years, has built a business around it. And it's just not available for me to like collaborate with or learn from. Yeah. I want to come back to your burnout in a second, but would you say like learning and education is a core value for you? Maybe not in those exact words, but yeah. 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 And so interestingly in that sense, it's like, like it felt, it feels to me like you cared more than they cared in a sense of like, I, I'm, I'm trying to make your business better. And like, why won't you listen? Yes. And that you hit the nail on the head with that phrasing, like, why do I care more than you do? And my name's not on the door and I'm not signing anyone's paycheck and I'm not, you know, doing those ownership things. Um, and it was very frustrating and it wasn't just in that area. It was in other areas of the business too. Like we, even behind the chair serving my clients, I still served my clients to the best of my ability. And I always have, and I will continue to do that even outside of being behind the chair. But for me at that time, it's like, why are we all working so hard? If this is just like an afterthought for those that are making the decisions. And it really taught me a lot. I was very bitter at the time, but it taught me a lot of things in my ownership journey now. Taught me a lot of what not to do, but now I've learned what to do in place of those what not to do things. And to bring it back to education, one of the biggest things that I always will say is if you don't know how to do something, find somebody that knows how to do it and learn from them. Whether that's taking a class or like mentorship or just building a professional or personal relationship with them, figure it out. We always say at the salon, like figure it the F out. Everything is figure outable. So (laughs) it just, they didn't, certain people didn't want to figure it out. They didn't want to put in the work to do it. And that's what I think led to a lot of burnout for me. Like I was just spinning my wheels trying to make it. And it was like, I just didn't have what I needed to really get there. Yeah. Interestingly, it sounds like, and I talk a lot about physical, mental, and emotional burnout being three very different things in the sense of like, you talk about spinning your wheels and like, like desiring for them to care more and this kind of sense of purpose, right. And purpose and the motivation behind it. Like what did burnout look like, feel like, sound like for you at that time? I just remember being exhausted all the time, like mentally, physically, emotionally, just like exhaustion. And it was also, you know, doing hair is a very physical job. I would do, you know, nine, 10, 11 hour shifts back to back clients booked like one right after the other. And I love my clients and doing that. And then on top of it, all the other things that I was doing, and it was just like, oh my gosh, can I just like come up for air for a minute, you know? And like financially things were great. I was, I was busy. I was booked. I was rocking and rolling behind the chair, setting a great example for the people I was training. But like, I would just come home. And this was at a point when my husband was still, he's a musician and he was still playing weddings pretty heavily, not so much anymore, but I would typically come home and he would have left for a wedding gig on a Saturday night at the end of my shift. And that's totally fine. That's just our lifestyle especially at the time. And I would come home and just sit in silence. And I would be like, all right, what can I binge on Netflix? And how much wine can I have? And just like turn my brain off. And I would just enjoy those moments. It was like kind of a, like a healthy and unhealthy way to end my week. You know, it felt good in the moment, but it was like maybe not sustainable in the long run. 
The thing that you were describing about kind of coming home, like couch, wine, Netflix, you know, this like thing I think is actually really common. Um, In fact, on one of my first episodes, my friend Takesha and I were talking about it and it's like, you need to just like tune everything out, turn it off, numb it out, whatever it is. Cause I get this sense that not only were you physically exhausted behind the chair serving clients every single day, like I get, I get a sense of like, you were just like shouting into the abyss and like, nobody was listening. Nobody can hear you. And you had all these great ideas and these things that you wanted to like funnel into helping the business and know where to funnel them. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how it was. It's like, I had all these great big plans and things, but when it came to breaking it down and execution, had I had somebody that was supporting me and bouncing ideas with me and collaborating with me and giving suggestions and giving me feedback, I think I could have maybe pushed a little bit further. And I think that's really what it boiled down to for me is the lack of give a damn, pardon my French, but the lack of caring and the lack of like wanting to collaborate with the people that are doing work within your business. So now that you are a very successful, I would add salon owner, what are some of the lessons that you took away from? I'm never going to do that when I have my own place or I'm definitely going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get that role modeled for me. What are some of those things that you've, you've noticed? Oh gosh, like really showing up like physically and like support wise, um, just showing up in every way you can, because that is paramount because when we needed people to show up at my previous job, you know, they're not horrible people, but when we needed them to show up, they really weren't there. And it was just kind of like, well, you guys can figure it out. And so I kind of went, went ham in the other direction. And I like showed up and I was there and I was present for everything. So that that's a big one for me is always showing up to support in whatever ways needed. Um, and gosh, that's the biggest one for me, I think. And then just yeah. being kind, asking people like, how are things going? Like actually caring and wanting to have those conversations with people and wanting to build connections with the people that you work with and be like, a a lifeline for them or a resource or a collaborator with them. It's like the pendulum swung from like you experiencing as an employee, like no caring, no engagement, no ownership. I mean, I'm being a little dramatic here, obviously, but all the way to like, okay, well now I'm, I'm in charge and I'm the the leader here and I'm going to do all of that stuff. It's like all the give a damn, Mm -hmm. all the support, how do you find the balance when it comes to caring a lot and helping a lot and supporting a lot? How does that not burn you out on the other side? Well, it's funny that you asked that question because it's a day-to-day uh, struggle for me. <laughs> and it's something that I just have to, I have to be honest about it um, because I did that pendulum swung in the complete opposite direction. And it was, it kind of turned into okay, let me handle it. Let me handle it for this person. Let me take care of this for you. Let me, let me give you the idea for this. Let me talk to this customer. Let me put the data into the computer. Let me make that spreadsheet. Let me, let me, let me, let me. And it was really, really great for a while until we got busy enough and booked enough as a business and started evolving. And then it just wasn't sustainable. And not to say that I did all that stuff by myself because um, I'm sure it'll probably come up. Danny, my 
for all intents and purposes, like my partner on things, she was with me at uh, the previous business where we worked and we share a lot of the same values. We share a lot of the same work ethic, but she is actually somebody who has been a resource for me. And we've been dividing and conquering since day one, but now we've been dividing and conquering everything. And now it's like, okay, it's not just the two of us. We had to adapt and add layers into our leadership so that we could have that you know, high performing business, but also that work life balance. But it's, I think it's a struggle for a lot of people with her and I's personality types and our work ethics and our goals to just go, 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 go until it's too much and it's not sustainable anymore. I'm hearing this more and more often lately, both from clients and even in the interviews I'm doing for Working Your Way. What we didn't get from our previous leadership often becomes something that we set out to provide for people when we have that power. It's the pendulum swing from, I didn't get this, so I'm going to give all of this. And we talk about this a little bit more when we get back to the episode. But it's interesting because the majority of managers don't get a lot of training on how to develop their own management style. Oftentimes, we pick up things from those we work for or the people that we have visibility to, both what we want to emulate in those people and what we want to avoid. That was my experience, at least in the corporate world, despite working for a company that has what's considered world-class management training. There's still a lot of trial and error and learning through observation and experience. So I'm curious, how have you honed in on your style of management? Or if you're not in a management role today, how will you do that in the future? Yeah. So what are some things, it it is an ongoing effort, right? Every single day. What are some things that when you hit that kind of tipping point of like, I'm giving everything um, and it's not sustainable to now and kind of finding that balance? What were some things that helped you? What were some things that you changed? Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly, lots of therapy. I'm a big believer. And if you're ready to talk about some stuff, like find a therapist. And I have personally worked through a lot of things in different areas in my life. But a lot of what I talk about in my sessions is my job and how I can still fill my cup, but not overflow it where I can't help anybody. And because I'm burned out and the work I'm doing suffers or I'm more reactive And I've just really, through therapy, found ways to care for myself um, and know that it's, it's okay if you have to say, hey, this needs to wait until tomorrow. Or, you know, can we table this until our next meeting? Or I can't get to this right now. Like, that's okay. I used to think that just because someone had a request of me, it meant right there, this second. And I'm still retraining my mind to not do that. And I have to actively think about it. But I just want to step in and help. But then also by stepping in and helping, that's not teaching other people in the business how to do those things. It's just fixing it. And if I just go in and I say fix it, it might not even be an issue. But if I just go in and help and fix things, they're not learning the skill sets that they need to be more autonomous in their role. So it's almost like I overcompensated for what I was going through previously. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way it kind of sounds for me is like the, the pen in the pendulum swings, right. You think about like 
um, breaking cycles as as a parent or things like that, right? Neither one of us have, at least for you, human children, right? <laughs> you, have some, mm-hmm. you have some cat children. But um, when when I hear a lot about parents saying, oh, I didn't get this as a kid, so I'm doing all of that for my kids, it's kind of the same sense in, in um, how you manage the salon. And then it's like, okay, now how do I get that back to the middle? How do I make sure I'm taking care of myself? And I'm curious mm-hmm. too, like, how do you and Danny as partners, like, keep each other like both as playing leadership roles within the business keep each other accountable or maybe like call each other out a little bit or like help you recognize when when things are going on we just have conversations one of the biggest things that i love so much about her is she's just very matter of fact she's very empathetic she's very like into i wouldn't say like into feelings that's not a good way to describe it. It's, but she's always open to sitting with someone and talking through something, even if it's a disagreement or like, we don't see eye to eye. We always come back to the same like purpose of why we wanted to open a salon, why we wanted to impact people's careers for the better, you know, why we make the decisions that we make. And like you mentioned core values earlier, we have core values for our business. And now we've created core values just for our leadership team. So like, we always try to bring things back to our core values, but more often than not, it's just about having courageous conversations with each other. I mean, there have been times where she has called me and said, we need to talk. And it was a very difficult conversation to listen to, and I'm sure to give. And, you know, we've done that for each other many, many times, and we'll continue to do it because at the end of the day, if we're not discussing things and getting them out on the table, then you know, we're not serving our business. We're just putting up walls or we're just ignoring the challenges that we're faced with or brushing them aside. And that's not, that's not good either. We just, we call each other on our crap and we always say clear is kind. You know, we have to be clear with each other and we have to be clear with our people and clear with our, our policies, our systems, everything. Like we just, we're just clear about it. I want to pause here to talk a little bit more about this. What Mallory is talking about is having courageous conversations and the not always being fun to have, to give, or to receive. And when we talk about difficult conversations, oftentimes we might actually more lean into, I have to tell somebody that I care about something that they might not want to hear, they might not like. But we don't always talk about or think about how it's impacting ourselves internally and why is it hard for us to say the thing that we know to be the truth that we want to share. And oftentimes it's because when we have these difficult conversations, it requires us to confront something in ourselves. It requires us to change the way we think about ourselves. If we're someone who gets along with everybody, maybe, you know, like me in episode one, I talk about, I just, I really wanted to belong. And so I lived a lot of my early life making other people feel comfortable around me and not sharing opinions or um, feedback that I thought was important because I I just, I didn't want that friction in my relationships and, and that threat to my sense of belonging. And so this could be, I'm a caring person. I'm, I feel like there's a threat to the relationship if, if they don't agree with what I'm saying. Like there's so many things that are at play here. And so I want to read just a quick line from a book that I really like. It's called Difficult Conversations. And they're talking about a specific uh, example in the book. And, and they say, our anxiety results 
not just from having to face the other person, but from having to face ourselves. The conversation has the potential to disrupt our sense of who we are in the world or to highlight what we hope we are, but we fear we are not. The conversation poses a threat to our identity, the story we tell ourselves about ourselves, and having our identity threatened can be profoundly disturbing. For Mallory and Danny, they're both highly loving, highly loyal people. And so having to have these conversations with each other tests that sense of identity. It tests the connection all the time. And what I think is really interesting about Mallory's role in her company is that in a corporate world, sometimes we can get by without saying the thing that we want to say, giving the feedback to our boss that feels really challenging, or even confronting ourselves and why am I not speaking up in a meeting? Someone else is always going to throw an idea in the ring. But when you're running a small business, when you're at the top of the chain, the stakes in that environment are extraordinarily high. No one else is going to fill in the gaps. There's no rug to brush things under. And so if they don't say the thing or face the truth or make the change, in their environment, the consequences are huge. And so that's been, I think, extra fuel for them to really push through those hard times and say, we we have to say the thing. We have to put that on the table. And I wonder what from that you can take away if you're in a corporate environment in terms of sorting out what might feel really important to say. What are the stakes? What are the stakes for the business? What are the stakes for your team? What are the stakes for you? if you don't lean into having that very difficult conversation with some courage. Yeah, I, it's like you have the values and the things that you put on the table and say, we're going to be courageous in our conversations. And you're role modeling that every day with each other for your people. And so anyway, I just want to like, make sure you you recognize like how special that is, because I think a lot of times people say they want to get all the feedback or have those conversations, but Mm -hmm. are like very happy not to have them at the end of the day. So yeah, and I felt that way where it's like, wait, we're going to ask the whole team for feedback on these things. And then you do it and it's like, okay, all right, cool. But like, it's not as scary as it is the first few times. And when we try to do that as much as we can is like ask our team a lot of things. So whether it's their schedule preferences, we will send out a survey. You know, we had, everybody's been asking for a four day work week, four day work week. And I couldn't wrap my mind around how that would still work in a service-based business, right? If we're not, if we're not booking haircuts and colors, you know, we're not keeping our doors open. So cutting our hours back was something that was a big decision we had to make. And it was due to Danny really kind of talking about that um, and bringing it to my attention and we figured it out. And then turns out we made another switch a year later to an even better schedule for everybody. And it was great until it wasn't. And what, seemed awesome on paper. Once they were working that schedule, you know, six, eight weeks in, it was like, man, this is awesome in some ways, but really not awesome in others. So we surveyed the entire team and really had to sit with that information for a couple of days and be like, all right, where do we go from here? Like, but you have, you have to do that because if not, you're, you're just working in the dark. 
What was, if anything, hard about, hey, we did something, we made a change, and it didn't work? Like, how was that process for you to kind of, like, name that or go back and revisit it? You know, it was it was difficult because it took, and I think giving some context, I could not get through my brain that working less hours could be better in a service-based business. And I was, and I'm very like set in my ways sometimes almost to a fault. And it was really Danny giving me a call. I'll never forget it. And she called me and I was in an appointment, but I had my earbuds and I could take the call. And I was like, Hey, you know, I can chat. What's up? And she said, we did our monthly individuals and this particular team member brought out that while they do really love parts of the new schedule, it's not sustainable and they want to change their schedule or request that we have a full schedule change. And I said, we literally just did this to give them what they wanted. Everybody agreed to it in the meeting. Everybody had all of the the details and information. What do you mean they don't like it? And I wasn't like super angry. I was just very frustrated. It's like, you know, back to the whole parenting example, because I think it is, you know, a good comparison. Like you give, you give your kids a toy and they're like, but this isn't the color that I wanted. And it's like, okay, but I still gave you what you like. You know what I mean? It's, it's frustrating. So that's kind of how I felt in the moment. And then Danny is so amazing and so kind. And she was like, don't freak out. I'm just putting the bug in your ear now and we're going to gauge over the next week or so how everyone else is feeling about it. And once I'd kind of like thought about it, it made a lot of sense. You know, it was a schedule that had, I think it had a couple five day weekends, two five day weekends a month, but sandwiched in between those five day weekends were four day work weeks with only one day off in between. So when that happened, it was like two five-day weekends. This is insane. Nobody gets five-day weekends. And we were on like a rotating schedule. But then when it came down to it, she didn't work that schedule and I didn't work that schedule because we have set schedules based on what the business needs from the leaders. And so I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. If I was behind the chair and had to work that schedule, I probably wouldn't enjoy it either. Like that's, that's kind of hard. And so we, that's when we ended up surveying the team and saying, you know, what are you looking for? What's your priority? What, what's more important to you? More days off in between five day weekends, four day work week, you know, all of those things. We surveyed everyone. We compiled everything. It was anonymous. We did a Google form survey and then um, Tracy and Danny took that and we kind of ran with it and worked with some of our mentors to get feedback and advice and built out a schedule that we have that's now killer. It's awesome. And it still has a five-day weekend a month, a three-day weekend a month, and two regular two-day weekends a month on a rotation. And it's like we came up with something that was even better than before. But I had to get over that like, what do you mean they don't like it? And that's just me and something that I got I to gotta work on. What Mallory is role modeling here is truly an example of having a growth mindset. And a growth mindset is one of those buzzwords that's been out there in the business world for a little while now. And it gets conflated with other things of, oh, I'm always willing to learn and grow. And yes, that is definitely part of it. But having a growth mindset also means being willing to be wrong being willing to not have all of the answers, being willing to admit fault. And 
frankly, just getting over yourself and really listening. And that's when it can become really hard because we can all say we have a growth mindset when we're reading new books and listening to podcasts and doing these things to build our skill sets. But where having a growth mindset becomes hard is when we have to really face our own ego, our own ideas of who we are, how qualified we are, or that our sometimes our ideas might not be the best ones. We have to face ourselves. And what Mallory has been able to do is really remove her ego from the situation and listen in service of the people that work in her organization, but also in service ultimately of the business. Because when we can better care for the people that are caring for our businesses, the business is going to benefit from that. And this is such an important leadership skill. So I hope that everyone kind of takes away what does it really mean to have a growth mindset? It's not just about constantly learning new skills. It's really about confronting ourselves a lot of the time. And that can be hard, but there's so many better ideas and better business strategies and better well-being for our team on the other side of that. I mean, I think, first of all, let me just like point out that to, to be go back to the drawing board in the first place, right? And like reach and like exercise the empathy that I know you lead with on a regular basis, but like in this particular instance to be like, actually, I don't understand what they feel like. Let me, let me take a step back and really listen in a different way. I actually think that's like such a great um, example of, of how you can do those things. Mm-hmm. And I think I just have to remind myself on a regular basis that like, I have to take a beat myself personally. That's a need that I have because when I don't like take a beat, marinate on something, really give myself a chance to come around. I, I tend to get like more reactive and then my, I'm not thinking clearly because my emotions are high. And that's just something that I've really recognized in myself and something that I have, I have to work on and will continue to work on. Yeah. I want to talk about another uh, big, bold, and brave move, right? So you started your own salon. You were able to do a lot of the things that you weren't getting to give those things to your people. You're now stepping back from actually being a stylist and being behind the chair, and now you're teaching at Pip University. So what? how is this move better serving you And how is it allowing you to show up really authentically in your career? Ooh, that's good. Um, Yeah, it's been, it's been really great. It's really been serving me in a lot of different ways. Um, I went through a little bit of an identity crisis though, after I got out from behind the chair, I think as, as hairdressers in general, it's like, we, we don't just wake up one day and decide to go to beauty school. It's something that you really like are passionate about because it's, it's quite a, it's quite a job. And I spent so much of my career just trying to be like the best hairdresser I could be the best, technically the best customer service, the most clients, like really developing myself as a stylist and then opening my business and doing all those things that I wasn't getting. And then getting to a point where it's like, if I'm going to grow this business, I have to get out from behind the chair. 
And this is something that I learned as a student in PIP University. It's something that we teach to our students. It's I, I personally think it's very rare that there's a salon owner that can handle all of that responsibility and also still do hair even a few days a week. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because the workload is so much. And I think those that do excel at that have a very, very dialed in support system of leaders within their businesses with autonomy and decision-making capabilities and really have their like leadership on, on lock. And so I was coached in that manner as a student and, and I think it was a wonderful decision, but going through the first like quarter of the year last year, I stopped December 31st at the end of the year last year in 2022. And of course ended up for the first time getting COVID like two weeks before I was supposed to end. And we were like, Clients have been ha- like had this last appointment with me scheduled for months. Like I had clients no. in July when I started telling them they're like book me out through the end of the year and I had to cancel their appointments. And Ugh. everyone at the salon was saying, "Are you going to open up some extra days either when we close that first week of January or like in between Christmas and New Year's?" And I really thought about it and I wanted to and I said no. I said because if I start opening up a day here at a few hours there, I'm going to roll it into the new year and I'm not going to stand by that. And I specifically reached out to my clients and explained that to them, that it wasn't that I didn't care. It wasn't that I didn't want to see them. But, you know, my core clients that were affected by that, I wanted to touch base with them. There's nothing really for me to add here other than to say I have to pop in here for a second to say This is a great example of boundary setting and knowing yourself. Mallory was able to say, this is the cutoff date. And even when things changed, she kept that. She kept true to herself. She kept true to the message that she had told her clients, even when it was hard. Because I guarantee you, this was testing her in a big way to say, someone who really prides themselves and identifies with being in service to their clients to say no to them. And she was able to really ensure communication around those boundaries for the people that were affected, but do it in a way that had some grace and had some um, empathy for what they might be experiencing. So kudos to you, Mel. And then Q1 of this year, when I was out from behind the chair, I was already you know, training to become a professor and doing all these wonderful things with PIP, but it was almost like an identity crisis. It was like you spend your whole career doing this one thing and then it's just gone for, for good reason. And you make an active decision, Yeah. but then it's not there. And you're like, well, I've got stuff to do, but like, what am I supposed to do with myself? Like all that pride that I had in doing that for so long and cultivating that skill set and being at the top of my game, it was like, where do I put that now. Of course, I'm proud of my business. Of course, I'm proud of being able to like train with some of the best salon owners in the world. But it's like, you don't know what to do with yourself. It's kind of weird. Well, it looks like more and more of what I have to say in this episode is really about our identities and our jobs. And it can be really easy to tie our identities to our jobs tie who we are to the thing that we do. And eventually having these moments where we have to decouple that when we make a change in our career uh, or when it becomes problematic for us that we're sacrificing ourselves in order to maintain this identity of of who we want to be at work or a certain title or a certain level or a certain role. 
And then when we make those changes, we have to kind of reestablish our identity without that thing. Natasha mentioned this in kind of almost more of a positive light, going from being a creative director who is doing the writing to a creative director who is now leading a team, you're farther away from the work. And so for what Mallory mentioned was, you know, going from being a stylist, being a hairstylist to now running a company, running her business and teaching people when you get taken out of that kind of craft, the creative talent that you've honed for years or decades in many instances, just like Mallory did, it can feel like a loss of identity. And this kind of over-identifying with our jobs can, you know, it, it, it has us in these moments where we have to reconcile things, but it also can be something that causes us to sacrifice our own well-being. I did a talk, uh, a very, very short talk about this. It was a five-minute talk, which uh, sounds like it might not be that hard, but it was extraordinarily difficult to fit in all of my ideas in five minutes um, at an event called Disrupt HR. I'll link the talk in the show notes, but I really talk about how we can make work less personal and more purposeful. This talk is really about how we tie our identities to our jobs. In this instance, for Mallory, it was more of a reconciling of, I've been this creative person. I've been honing this craft forever. Now that that's not there, who am I? And she's been really courageous in how she's stepped into, I'm a leader. I can expand my impact in these different roles now that I play as a salon owner and as a, as a professor. And so think about, as you're making these transitions, what are you making work mean about you? And what might be a really beautiful thing on the other side of this identity change that allows you to step into something new, a new version of yourself, a new part of what you're able to bring to the world? I imagine that a lot of people who do creative work or make a career change, period, kind of go through that. Um, moment of like, this is who I've been. And I think it's, you know, there's so much more to say about this in terms of like how we tie our identities to our jobs, but I see you also thriving in this new chapter. And so, you know, how, how do you think um, for you, this new balance is, is serving you? What do you think is great about it and what's it allowing you to do? The biggest thing, it's allowing me to notice things and identify things in my business that I would not have seen if my mind were on doing clients. It's allowed me to coach my students that I work with from a very informed perspective and support them in everything that they need. And like time management wise, it's been really great. There's always going to be times, you know, as a, as a business owner who also, you know, has another job coaching other owners, there's always going to be times where things are busy and there's a lot to be done. I mean, we worked on some projects recently in the last few months where it's like, I'm still doing, you know, 10, 11 hour days, you know, working and burning the candle at both ends. But I just know now that that's temporary and it's project based and it's not going to be forever. So I really am able to look at things with a whole new set of eyes and move my business forward while also like informing my work that I do with my students. Cause that's, that's really important to me as well. Amazing. 
Amazing. I, there's a lot of great lessons in here about delegation, about the oh, benefits yeah. of doing that, about letting things go and then opening up this new chapter. And I know we've got to get going here, but I just want to give you huge props in kind of leaping before the net is there and figuring it out along the way. I think I know you come from a long line of small business owners. And so mm-hmm. you've, you've kind of lived this like big risk, biz, big reward kind of life um, or seen it from afar. And so you're role modeling it in such a beautiful way. Well, thank you. And it's, it's funny that you bring up like, I love that I'm a fourth generation small business owner, but and my family is not in my industry at all. They're all in like hydraulic equipment and auto and truck parts <laughs> and heavy machinery and stuff like that. And they're like, yeah. wait, you're going to open a hair salon? You're going to do hair? What? And so now, even now, I'm able to have conversations with them and it's mind blowing to them, like how I'm doing things and that I'm not doing hair anymore and that I work with my team from home every day. Like it's just, it's really wonderful to have like bring the 21st century to those that have been doing this a very long time. And it's been really, really inspiring and really given me like my own like pats on the back, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's that like moment of like, I'm really good at this and now I get to share it with other people. Mm -hmm. I'm always talking about this kind of stuff with my grandpa about coaching people and you have to ask questions. You have to do this. And I mean, he's 80 years old and he will just look at me and say, that's some pretty deep stuff. And you could tell he's confused, but he knows it's like important, but he's like, that's, that's a little too deep for me, but good for you. (laughs) He's like, you, you just keep doing you. That's great. He's like, yeah, okay. I love that on, on the grandpa note. Um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And, uh, I feel like we're probably going to need to do a part two sometime because there's so many things that I think you can help illuminate for people. But I am thrilled to see you just like thriving in this new level of leadership and I don't know, crushing it in all the ways. Well, thank you so much. It was wonderful being on the podcast with you. And I'm so excited for this to air. And I can't wait to see who all you have on the podcast next. (laughs) Amazing. Well, you'll wait and see. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Mel. So much of what we talked about today was how Mallory has confronted her own sense of self or her own identity and her own ego to become a better leader and a better business person. I'm going to drop two resources in the show notes here. One is the book I mentioned called Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most. And this book is great, not just for work, but for life circumstances and personal relationships as well, because so much of communicating effectively is about understanding what's going on in our internal experience, what stories we're telling ourselves, the ways that we might be holding ourselves back from saying the thing that we really want to say. And I think this book does a great job of really illustrating and getting into that. The second resource is a talk that I did actually in April of 2023 at an event called Disrupt HR. And it's called Stop Taking Work Personally. And it's a really short talk, but I cover a lot of ground in terms of why we take work personally and what we can do differently to make work less personal and more purposeful. I want to also just say this work is really hard. I want you to ask yourself if there are things that you're not willing to change or places that you're not willing to go 
because you think it might disrupt how you see yourself or the person that you hope you are. And the thing is, when we can confront those things, when we can listen more, when we can have those difficult conversations, when we can push past ourselves and outside of our comfort zones, there are stronger connections and better business decisions on the other side. So I would encourage you today to think of a time when you might be able to have a courageous conversation, something that might feel difficult in the moment, but know that on the other side of that conversation is a really beautiful outcome. Thanks so much for listening to Working Your Way. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes, show notes, additional resources, and more at selfatwork.com forward slash podcasts.